do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Uh, welcome to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. I really appreciate you tuning in on this one. And, and uh, uh, this episode will be pretty impassioned and emotional. <laughs> if some of you are listening to uh, this broadcast, either live or looking for a date on when this broadcast actually occurred, it's April of 2020. And uh, we are in the midst on a worldwide basis, worldwide basis, uh, on this corona crises uh, that most of us, if not all of us who are in the listening audience now or in the unfortunately foreseeable future uh, are up against. And um, let me summarize. I've had it. <laughs> I've had it with the lack of leadership in corporate America. I've had it with the leadership in the federal and state and local level. And as just a lone small voice out there, I hope that people listen to this broadcast and, and really listen and, and recognize that this isn't the first time this has happened. It's not going to be the last time. And we need to blame our leaders. Yes, blame. That's the word. They are not paying attention. It's platitudinal phrases and statements that we're having. Two reasons for this. One reason for this is today's show, and it's titled, One, Why Some People Revel in Complexity. Revel in Complexity. And the next episode of the 2020s Enterprise is titled, Moving from Crisis Management, which people are being rewarded for right now, to creating resilient organizations in anticipation of the next crises, whatever it is. It may be biological, it may be earthquakes, it may be uh, terrorist attacks as we've had. All of these things have happened before. And it's a shock and a surprise to people that's out there. Now, two things triggered my thoughts in the episode that you're hearing today. One was what I refer to, excuse me for my chuckling, YAFs. What's a YAF? YAF stands for Yet Another Framework. And uh, some of you know that uh, I am steeply involved in a number of architectural activities, enterprise architecture and business architecture, which we refer to as the baseline for addressing and managing continuous change. It's not about building information systems. It's about baseline for managing and addressing continuous change. And... A number of years ago, a consortium of academics, industry, and government people that I am sure, with upright and thoughtful intentions, published YAF, and yet another framework on enterprise architecture. And this YAF was going to take all the other YAFs and bring them all together. As a veteran of enterprise architecture and frameworks, all I could do was roll my eyes and smile. As a note, I was asked to join this YAF effort 
when it was first conceived, and I, I declined. And I declined because I said, this is insanity. This is just insanity. And this YAF, and I'm really hesitant on saying it, but I'm going to, is the most complicated representation of enterprise architecture I have yet to observe. Notice the word I used, complicated. That set my thinking off in April of 2020 with all of this horrible virus situation going on, affecting the lives of everyone. And, you know, those that are infected, our, our sympathies and hearts go out to you. Those massive number of people that are unemployed right now because they're sheltering in place, our hearts go out to you and all of those folks. But there's a but. Not that it could be completely prevented. I don't know. But the reactions we're seeing right now from our leadership is just that word, reaction, reactive, just the opposite of what we expect leaders to do. Lead, 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 not react to things that are out there. This could have been anticipated, should have been anticipated. And I started thinking about this through the eyes of complexity. The YAF I'm mentioning was complexity. What, what, what is causing this? The reactions that we're seeing right now, as I'll point out to you, are complex, not looking at the basics. But I'm gonna show you some evidence of different thinking out there. People are looking at these things differently. Yet I do find with all the literature uh, searches that I've been doing, not just now, but before, actually when I started looking at this new YAF, saying, hell, here we go again. And starting to see the complexity that people were really comfortable with. This is just the opposite. And so the question was, is there such thing as a complexity bias in human beings? Well, you know what? It turns out the answer is yes. People get rewarded for increasing the complexities out there because it's equated to progress. Well, simple can't be good. Of course not. You know, that's out there. It is not a measure of progress. It's a measure of writing purchase orders. And the minute the purchase order is, is, is done, success is declared. Yes, I'm being a little bit direct here. But let's look back at Steve Jobs. This is one of his quotes, and he's got a lot of quotes, obviously, he had in his lifetime, and uh, lots of us miss his, his thoughts and things like that. Here's the important quote. Simple can be harder than complex. Let me say it again. Simple can be harder than complex. And we're going to be discussing this now. Now, before we do this, I'm going to take you back. I want you to think about What's happening now? This horrible, horrible situation we're in. I'm going to take you back to 1892. 1892. Ellis Island. Ellis Island. For those of you that know me, you know that I'm an immigrant and I came through that. Not in 1892, by the way, uh, but we were we were there at the time. What was Ellis Island set up? to do. It was set up to intercept people coming into the United States of America 
from foreign lands for a couple of reasons. This is a little uncomfortable. One of the reasons, okay, was health. Was health. Hint, 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 hint. Health. And so the inspection process in Ellis Island sometimes took several hours. It didn't guarantee that an individual family would pass. Medical inspections were done. And yes, there was a ton of legal things also going on, asking, you know, questions about, uh, uh, you know, are, are you here to overthrow the United States of America and those types of things. Uh, forgive me again for that nervous chuckling I'm doing. I don't want to talk about the legal aspects. I want to talk about the health aspects. Ladies and gentlemen, 1892, there was a data point that told us that things were changing. The borders were not open. With all due respect to that phrase, because we didn't know what was coming into the country. It was not because we didn't like immigrants, as there's a lot of chat about that right now. It's because we recognized there could be situations where innocently people are coming in and will disrupt disrupt the health and the things that are going on. And we see it all the time. We see it in the Great Lakes with the Asian carps um, that are coming from lake to lake, invasive species. And so we see it in the Caribbean um, with uh, the lionfish. And we see it with human beings. It's not evil intent. It's the recognition in the 2020s that we're in that human movement is now different than it was years ago. People can hop on an airplane. There's a higher middle class that's out there all over the world. These people travel. They want to see things. All these actions that you and I are talking about. And with that can come issues. That's really what this episode is about, is recognizing that what we're talking about here is the movement of people unrestricted from location to location that can inadvertently bring things into this country and cause major disruptions. Now, it's fascinating to me that at airports, the reactionary approach years ago to terrorism was in the Transportation Security Administration. Security. And security was defined in a certain way. Well, perhaps the TSA needs to be health and security agency. The health of people are having even a greater effect on the populace compared to those horrible terrorist situations that we had. Think about it once again. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing, the situation that we had before. And so when you start looking at these things, unfortunately, you start recognizing that the new environment that you and I are in, this new environment that you and I are in, has to do with the movement of people freely, which is great, but on the other hand, is causing us some great concern. 
So in the late 18, uh, in the late 1800s, 1900s, when Ellis Island was, was, uh, was established, you had these checks that were going on to make sure that the people coming into this country were at some level of healthiness that would translate into this country and others. By the way, the borders doesn't matter where, doesn't matter where, because the movement of people brought with it great things and unfortunately brought sometimes nasty things with it. And you had essentially inspections going on of people, you want to call them medical exams, whatever you, you, want, to, you, you want to cause it, for various reasons. And you had various physicians and doctors and, and people like that that were looking at all of this, once again, because of these types of uh, diseases, you know, that were, you know, that were going on. And you had sometimes horrible situations that people had to deal with. Uh, a family and two or three children. One of the children could have been sick. What do you do? You separate them from your families. Any of these things sounding familiar to you that's going on today? How do you address these things? Well, sometimes things were a little less comfortable uh, in those days because of some of the things, you know, that were, you know, that were going on. And as people were walking in, uh, the technology of the day was chalk. Uh, people would re- uh, be remarked on, uh, uh, marked on their on their jackets or, or shirts and things like that. Um, you know, if there was an X on, a, on, a, on the right shoulder, uh, um, you know, it meant something. On the left shoulder, it meant something. Uh, a B indicated uh, a back problem. Uh, PG int- uh, indicated a pregnancy. Uh, SC meant there was a scalp infection. All these things going on that were there. This was in the 1900s because... People came over on these boats, slow boats. Now we have airliners, of course, that bring people from around the world in hours. Yet coming across the border, we're not looking at, we're looking for, and these are very important, of course, terrorist physical bombing actions. But those actions measured against what is going on today it's not even close, the damage that's being done today. We have to take action to get our politicians and our corporate citizens here to look at the new reality. Look at the new reality. And at the same time, this is going on right now, we see this ugly complexity situation hitting again. Here we go, just like we we're looking at the complexity. We're not looking for the simple because the simple is hard. Complexity sells. Yes, complexity sells. And just this week, just this week, your tax dollars and my tax dollars are being spent by you and I. There's no such thing as government money. Almost a half a billion dollars, $490 million dollars is being provided to General Motors to produce 30,000 ventilators. Now, as a Michigander, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that GM is getting this money. On the other hand, as a taxpayer, you start looking at the details and you start recognizing that each one of these ventilators 
that they're building, 30,000 of them, are going to cost $17,000 a piece, okay? And the contract fall calls for the ventilators to be delivered by the end of August. This is April, the end of August. Yes, first deliveries in June. Let me give you those numbers again. This is the early part of April. We're looking at the 1st of June and August for these deliveries. I want you to think about a half a billion dollars being spent when we are going to see some results and maybe there needs to be some simplicity thinking as to how a ventilator is actually produced before we write a purchase order for a half a billion dollars. Maybe we're in a crisis management position. <laughs> yes, we are. Maybe we need to look at this prior to taking actions. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back to the break, we're going to give you some startling numbers here as to alternatives that need to be explored in this area. You're listening to 2020's Enterprise. We're talking about complexity in this episode. We'll see you back here in a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Based on over 30 years of real-world experience, the Business Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops in business architecture will guide you beyond theory and into actual implementation. If you are looking to develop a baseline for business agility through goal-aligned, prioritized capabilities, we will help you get there. You will leave our workshop with real tools, processes, techniques, and most importantly, true hands-on business architecture project practice. For dates, locations, and more, visit BACOE.org. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. 
Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Virtual Business Architecture Services from the Business Architecture Center of Excellence will provide you with the expertise of our consulting services remotely so you can achieve your goals quickly, efficiently, and economically. Using our business architecture methodology, complemented by our full BACOE practitioner support, we will help you achieve the same great results without any travel at a reduced cost. Please visit BACOE.org backslash virtual hyphen BA for more information. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to The 2020s Enterprise. Uh, Today's topic uh, is about complexity, uh, unfortunately, and uh, the examples I'm using uh, are the horrible situation the world is in when it comes to the coronavirus um, and the complexity thinking that is just pervasive in our society today at all levels. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples here of different thinking that's addressing this. So in our prior segment of this episode, I was chatting about uh, General Motors receiving a half a billion dollar contract of your tax money, also known as government money. No, it's not government money. It's our money that's being spent. And as I mentioned, on a positive side, it is being spent uh, uh, at General Motors. And I'm from Michigan. I like to see that you know, there's some money coming back to, the, to, to Michigan, and they're going to be producing 30,000 ventilators, which is, sounds great. If you read the details, the first ones are going to be delivered in June. And if some of you are looking at this episode, it's April, early April. So if you do some counting here, you've got a couple of months before these things are going to appear. And 6,000 of these ventilators are going to appear in June 1st, hopefully, at 17 thousand dollars a piece and of course the ventilators that are being looked at are going to be the same complexity issue this issue of the 2020s enterprises episode is about complexity and therefore you write a purchase order and uh, you uh, have an applause and everybody's happy and people are on tv and they go on all the networks there and everything's cool now let's rethink this again And there's some wonderful people there that are rethinking this. And one of the people that are rethinking this is a incredible pediatric anesthesiologist, pediatric anesthesiologist at the Mississippi Medical Center, University of Michigan, excuse me, University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Charles Robinson is, Robertson is this guy's name. And he looked at this and set out to do what? Make the absolute simplest ventilator possible with parts that are available in any city, no special tools required to get the job done as quickly as possible as the need arises. Notice the different objective, not a political objective, 
not a contain the complexity objective, fix the problem today by rethinking the ventilator issue is what this marvelous doctor did. So he went out and rethought this thing and said, I have an objective of building the absolute simplest ventilator for this crazy situation that we're in. We'll worry about the future later, but we have a crisis today, early April. We had it last month, June and August. We have no idea what's going to happen then. We hope, obviously, it's down. And so he goes out and builds this ventilator for under $100 and demonstrated that in Jackson, Mississippi, just a few days ago. The ventilator can be assembled in less than an hour. He's built 170 of these to use in the hospital in, 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 in case of a shortage of the equipment they have today. It's called strategy. It's called preparedness. It's called being ready. Not reacting, but being ready. Acting ahead of the crises, you know, that is there. And he's applied for, of course, you know, for the FDA for clearance for all these other things. And hopefully these things won't take very long to be able to to do. And if you watch the video on your favorite uh, channel on uh, whatever it is (laughs) that's out there, it's kind of fascinating. The thing is made with a garden hose, (laughs) yes, a garden hose, a lamp timer, and an electric valve. (laughs) Wow, talk about rethinking it. Talk about rethinking it. Now, of course, this thing's costing 100 bucks on one off. Can you imagine if the resources of General Motors or somebody else or the ventilator makers that are now getting $17,000 a piece rethought the process? I want everyone in the medical community or know something of ventilators to recognize I'm not that naive to think they're exactly the same, the $17,000 unit and the $100 unit. But we're in a situation where we need solutions today, not cosmetic political statements. We need something today, and none of this should have happened. None of this should have happened. I'm not a short-term thinker guy. I'm just the opposite. And what we need to look at is this is this something like this is going to happen again. We need non-traditional thinking at the corporate level and at the leadership level in corporations and at the strategy level in corporations and in the federal government and the state government and the city government. We've got to rethink this whole thing and recognize this isn't going to be the last crises. And anytime you hear that phrase, crises management or crisis playbooks, those people should not be rewarded. They should be examined as to why they didn't have an approach that could possibly address this. I want to stress again, this is a interruption in flow And as I mentioned in our next episode of the 2020s Enterprise, we're going to be talking about creating resiliency. 
And I want to once again be careful and say, I'm not suggesting I can predict the next biological event, but I'm pretty sure I'm on pretty solid ground that something else is going to happen. And I don't want our leadership to say, oh my goodness, here we go again, another crisis. No, I want to have a plan in place, an architecture in place to be able to do what-if analysis, prepare for those what-if analyses, and be ready for these things. That's what we're trying to do. Just like we did in Ellis Island, we recognized there was a state that was changing on us, and in order to address that, we thought about it ahead of time. We didn't say these immigrants are coming in the door and we'll fix the problem later, which is what we sometimes hear today, kicking the can down the road. We love complexity, and that's what got us onto this topic. And so I mentioned some of these people before, and let me come back to Steve Jobs. Simple can be harder than complex. Yes. Yes. You have to work hard to get your thinking clean to make it simple. And that's what this doctor did. Rethought the process. Didn't look at the baggage of what was out there today, but said, let me relook at what we're trying to do here. And let me simplify. <laughs> we're trying to put oxygen air into people's lungs when they're having trouble breathing. I know I'm oversimplifying it. Forgive me, medical professions, professionals that are out there. That's what we're trying to do. Let's rethink that. That's what we're trying to do. We have an emergency situation. Let's rethink this thing. But as Mr. Jobs went on to say, but it's worth it in the end because once you get there, you can move mountains. Wow. Wow. Now, this concept of complexity has been around for a long time. And there's been these people every once in a while that pop out of the woodwork that start recognizing this. How about Lenny, Leonardo da Vinci, okay? A famous quote, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. But yet in our society today, complexity is what sells. But it's really hard to do things simple, you know, that's there. How about Confucius? He wasn't confusing. He said life is really simple but we insist on making it complex and complicated that's out there. Marketers, and some of you know my background. I have an MBA in marketing, uh, excuse me, in, 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 uh, in business, excuse me, with a specialty in marketing. Marketers make frequent use of complexity bias. They know that. If it looks too simple, you ain't going to pay for it. You know, that's out there. And that's another reason why this YAF is, is, is making some, uh, some progress, uh, you know, that's there. And you start looking at these things, and once again, you get these, these how do I put it, head nods. Edger Dijkstra, simplicity is a great virtue, but it requires hard work to achieve it and education to appreciate it. And to make matters worse, complexity sells better. So those with simple solutions are poo-pooed. Well, that can't possibly work. You get all those naysayers, the human condition that's out there. Okay. 
And we see this in technology. And every once in a while, we see somebody changing the equation, if I can use that phrase, you know, that's out there, like this doctor. But again, uh, I'm taking you back in history on, on purpose um, as to what is going on. Now, Charlie Munger, another quote from him, where you have complexity, by nature, you can have fraud and mistake. Okay? And that's, of course, what we're seeing in some of these horrible instantaneous cures that are out there. Um, and people being, you know, fooled by these things because they're reading it on the Internet. Well, as we all know, the Internet has no vetting at all. It's there with all due respect to the people that are running this thing. And they can't possibly keep up. And I don't care how much AI or BI or CI or MI, artificial intelligence, machine intelligence, machine learning that's out there. People are much smarter and they're going to get around these things. And that's why the hackers keep winning, you know, that's out there. And so in any complex system, being a, a morning routine that you have, a business, a military campaign, complexity is difficult to manage. Addressing one of the constituent parts inevitably affects another one. And unintended and unexpected consequences are likely to occur because of this. And so once again, we start looking at this. Well, why? why? And again, it is essentially something that is, we, we, we like it. We like to be able to look, and some people say, that's also part of the concept of conspiracy theories. It's the complexity that it's fascinating with. Com- conspiracy theories are, are the ultimate symptom of our desire to find complexity in the real world. Once again, it's another disease when you think about it. And one of my favorite examples, I really love the Beatles. If you think back, remember... Paul McCartney is dead conspiracy theory in the 60s. Substantial number of people believe that Paul McCartney died in a car crash and he's replaced by a lookalike. Okay. Conspiracy theorists declared the Beatles wanted their most loyal fans to know this so they could hide the clues. So they hid songs and, clu- and, and, and clues and songs and on album covers. And of course, the famous album was the Abbey Road album. Uh, was particularly illustrative of this desire to spot complexity in randomness and chaos. He says, we're going to find it. People saw, hey, there's a police car that's parked in the background. Okay, and how much do the officers help cover up the crash? You know, thank you guys for not announcing this, you know, this type of thing. The car's license plate read LMW28IF, LMW28IF. Everybody said, well, it's natural. Paul McCartney was 28 years old if he had lived. By the way, during that time, he was actually 27, but doesn't matter. <laughs> and to Linda McCartney, LM, Linda McCartney, he didn't even meet her yet at that time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're putting these complex things together because there's something behind it. Matters were further complicated once the Beatles heard about this, and they said, you know what? We're going to take advantage of this. <laughs> it's called marketing. We're going to make sure that everybody keeps this conspiracy theory going and this complexity going because it really, really is wonderful. And they published a song, I'm So Tired, that in fact featured backwards mumbling about McCartney's supposed death. You're capitalizing on it. Sure sounds like the Internet nowadays, doesn't it? 
So 60s were turbulent time, and he wondered that scores of people poured over the album art and played records backwards. I, I know I remember I did the same thing, looking for evidence of complex hidden conspiracies. We just love it. We just love it. It's there. So once again, it is a human condition, it turns out. Ernst Schumacher, a little bit insulting phrase that he says here. Any intelligent fool can make things bigger, more complex, and more violent. (laughs) It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move things in the opposite direction. Well, some of us, and I'm going to put myself in that category, are saying, you know what? It's time to get a little courage out there and start getting people to recognize it doesn't have to be this way. And eliminating unnecessary complexity, rethinking the problem, Rethinking the problem, not saying ready, fire, aim. (laughs) There's a lot of phrases that you know out there. Ready, fire, aim, ready, fire, aim, ready, fire. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's throw it up against the wall. You hear all these phrases all the time. Let us rethink this and look at the fundamental areas. And it's not just problem identification. It's opportunity identification that's there. So we're going to take another quick break. We're going to close out this this episode with talking about, well, what can we do? What can we do? Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. 
Are you stuck in your enterprise architecture practice with nothing but a bunch of static models and deliverables aimed at future technology development efforts rather than true business understanding? With the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops, you will learn proven step-by-step enterprise architecture techniques to be used as the baseline for addressing continuous business and organizational change. For dates, locations, and more, visit EACOE.org. No travel? No problem. The Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence and Business Architecture Center of Excellence are experts in offering distance learning enterprise architecture and business architecture certification workshops throughout the year. Your experience mirrors our face-to-face workshops and are not just remote broadcasts. You will collaborate in teams across the world, just as though you were across the table. For dates and registration, visit EACOE.org and BACOE.org. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. This is our last segment uh, of the 2020s Enterprise uh, today, and the, uh, the episode is about complexity bias in, in human beings uh, that's out there. And it is somewhat a, uh, an emotional and, and a pretty direct episode that I'm giving you today. And, and I hope no one is offended. I never, ever want to offend anyone. But we only have limited time. And, and therefore, I wanted to make sure that you understood that this wasn't about me. I have nothing to do with this directly. But I do pay my taxes, as all of you do. And we do have leadership in this country that we uh, uh, that we elect. Uh, we work f- with organizations or for organizations that have leadership, and it seems like it's all falling apart. It's not the word political that is causing these issues. It's this thinking concept that's out there that reactionary is the answer rather than actions. And a lot of organizations use the word strategy and all these other things. But this crisis we're in right now says it all. When I read about crises management and crises playbook and see people get rewarded for those phrases, I know things are upside down. Well, what is that word complexity anyways? And and why should I care about it? You know, that's there. One definition, and there's a ton of definitions of complexity, I love this one because it's pretty direct. The inefficient and unnecessary waste of time, money, and talent on activities which have marginal impact on purpose and strategy. (laughs) Let me read it again. It's a great definition. The inefficient and unnecessary waste of time, money, and talent on activities which have marginal impact on purpose and strategy. Okay. And what you want is just the optimal, well, opposite. You want optimal deployment of time, money, and talent for those activities which create the most value in achieving purpose and driving strategy. So it's just the opposite of what we're, we're talking about, you know, that's out there. And if we look a little further 
this one is really kind of nerve-wracking. But, you know, when I started, again, a while back, looking at this whole idea of why people are looking at making things more complex, whatever your field in is there, and not everybody, again, but a high majority of people, because people look and say, well, this guy just got you know, paid for, for doing this. And, and he's, you know, he's on top of the, the mountain here for putting this crisis management playbook together. I'm trying to prevent crises. I remember when I was first starting out in technology and I looked at shock and amazement at people who were rewarded and had medals hung on them because they were coming into the office on weekends to fix their own computer software coding errors. <laughs> I said, well, this is upside down. <laughs> the people should, should be rewarded are the ones that never have to come in on the weekends. What is going on? And that is just one example of the upside down nature of things you know, that are out there. Yet it keeps going. Well, maybe, hopefully, this crisis is, has such an impact on us that somebody will sit back and say, let's look at this thing and look at what we can do to prepare for the next eventual perturbation or disturbance in the activities that we have. I didn't say prevent. I said, get ready. There will be another earthquake. There will be another tsunami. There will be another virus that's out there. There will, unfortunately, be, maybe not in this country, hopefully never in this country, another terrorist attack. The Internet will go down. The Internet will be hacked. These are things that will happen. I can almost guarantee them. I may not be able to prevent them. I'd love to, but I should prepare for them. And shame on us as leaders, political and corporate, for not recognizing we need to be ready for the next one and have something in inventory, so to speak, to be able to do that. The people in, in, introduced this complexity for actually no reason at all other than what we have discovered and other researchers have discovered because they're insecure about their ideas and abilities. It's an insecurity. And if some of you are familiar with Maslow's hierarchies of needs, which I'm not going to go through in, in detail in this episode, you know what I'm talking about. Simplicity is hard. It requires energy, brain power, and courage. Energy, brain power, and courage to go against the herd mentality that's out there. You have a group of people sitting down doing something. Everybody wants to see their input in the end product, service, or result, whatever it is. And the phrase that is damaging to no end is, can you live with this? And as long as people see their little world in that solution or whatever it is, the answer is yes. I never want to use that phrase in my life. I can't live with it. It's either the best thing we can produce as a group and we're going to, if I can use the phrase, debate this out and look at it and then produce it. Can you live with it? That's that compromise that's out there. And that 
leads into complexity. Bodies of knowledge are very different than methodologies and recipes, so to speak. And that's where some of the complexity comes from. A book of knowledge that's out there doesn't tell you how to make a chocolate cake. A recipe teaches you how to make a chocolate cake. It's out there. And so an encyclopedia, a knowledge base, is very, very different. It's what people draw from, unfortunately. And some say, the more stuff I use, by definition, the better off it needs to be. So I'm going to put 57 different ingredients in there. That's got to be better because there's 57 ingredients. Oh, you're only using four? <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> you're only using four? It can't be any good. I got 57 things in there. And whether it's a frame of reference for architecture or whether it's solutions to respirator issues that are out there, it's that same thinking. More is better. More is better. So once again, we start at the end game. Let's look at this respirator issue. Simplicity. What is the objective? And again, forgive me if I'm making this too simple for the medical community. That's not my expertise. I'm looking at it as an analyst. We need to get oxygen in people's lungs. That's the end game. Not to produce respirators. Notice how different that is. My objective is not to produce respirators. My objective is to get oxygen air into people's lungs. Very different end objective. President Kennedy, our objective is to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade and get them back again. Pretty clear. It wasn't to build a rocket or a spaceship or whatever it is. Notice how different the end objective, that's the thinking the leadership in this country and the leadership in enterprises and corporations have to think about. What's the end game? The end game isn't building new human resource management system. This is the backwards thinking, and we see it every day. And that's why a half a billion dollars is being spent on a product. It's going to be good, by the way. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be great. But maybe we can look at this thing a little differently. It's looking at simplicity as a virtue, as a value, and starting off with what's the end objective, and then looking back at what would be the possible best solution. And within that, there are various parameters. The best solution today may be different than a long-term solution that's out there. So coming back to these respirators, they're obviously going to be, quote, better, whatever the word better means, maybe more flexible, more agile. I'm not sure. I don't know that much about these. But that may be ready for the next crises, whatever, whatever that is. And so looking at the end game, building a product is a means to an end not an end in and of itself. But as I said, directly, and unfortunately, pretty directly, success is declared when a purchase order is written. Uh-uh. No, success is declared when whatever the end result was is actually being achieved. Now, we're going to have some interim results here. 
that we're looking at. And so the concentration of this episode of the 2020s Enterprise is getting hopefully people to recognize that we have to look at this concept of complexity when it comes to what we're doing, especially today, and start breaking it down. And there's a few people out there that are recognizing that things are and can be different. And so what we have to recognize is that we are going against human tradition of desiring complexity, especially when it comes into groups. It's that group think that is going on. Not all group think is bad, but a lot of it is because of this compromise approach. When you have 20 people sitting around the table, everyone's voice and content is looked at and agreed to so that everyone comes up with the phrase, can you live with this? The answer is yes. Very different. So what's exciting to me with this horrible situation is that we're in is the opportunity, the opportunity to rethink this concept, not just in the crises we're in right now, but to recognize there will be another one and another one and another one and turn the crisis into an opportunity for change, change in thinking, change in looking at what leadership measurement and reward actually is, both at the corporate level and at the political level that's out there, and looking at this as an opportunity to rethink this whole concept. Architect, analyze, design, assemble. Look at the issue. Take the issue apart into pieces. The phrase architecture is about that. It's taking something complex and breaking it down into logical pieces. Now, I'm not sure if this doctor I was mentioning that was doing that, but I sure can tell you right now that he rethought the issue. I want to stress again, his view was not to build a ventilator. His view was to, how do I as quickly as possible get something that will put oxygen, air into the lungs of patients that need this tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope my emotions came through positively as we need action now. Rethinking, making sure that we recognize a new issue is going to come up. We need to be prepared for it. Stay healthy. Try to stay sane. Try to have a little bit of fun. We'll see you next time.